Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me, alongside media executive and the guy with a large man crush on Chelsea, Mr. Grail Hallett. Rounding out the team, last but certainly not least, at least that would be me, is a soccer journalist and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on the show, we talk to one of our returning champions, as we say here, broadcaster John Champion. John is an absolute consummate professional. He's been in the soccer broadcasting business for a long time, and we're, uh, we're really happy that he's made his way across the pond and taken on the lead role for ESPN's MLS coverage. So we will check in with him and on all things happening, foreign and domestic, as they say. MLS is uh, in full swing. Uh, well, kind of, I guess, with the COVID, it's, uh, it's kind of half swing, but that's the best you can, uh, you can go for at this point in time. And we also have a pair of uh, U.S. men's national teams friendlies coming up. So uh, we look forward to talking to John about all that. But uh, a lot happening out there right now, folks. Uh, you know, this is November. We knew this was going to happen. And I've seen a lot of hate spewed in recent days about a man who is a constant winner and an overachiever. And uh, that, that's what people who support him like about him. Yes, he's been caught in some lies. Maybe he's twisted the truth a little bit, but he's still out there proving his haters wrong time after time. You know, some people just get jealous of someone who is successful and has money. They throw in that hot underwear model at his side and they hate him even more. You may not have wanted him in his role, but there, there he is now and, and there's nothing you can do about it, okay? I know it's uh, possibly just going to get worse over the next several days, but um, like him or not, Tom Brady is really turning things around in Tampa. Uh, that's what I'm over. Guys, did you see that coming? Come on, did you see oh that coming? Oh, my God, that was a long trip down the river. <laughs> I saw that yesterday, and it just it really got me. I thought I thought they were talking about somebody else Ooh. the whole time, and it just did the little switch there. So Very apropos, uh, Flutie. Well we need played. a little humor. Well we need a little switch. Uh, so uh, that's what I'm over today, guys. What are you over and over the ball, Sam? Uh, I'm over any kind of polling or statistical oh forecasting <laughs> measurements or whatever you want to call them. Hallelujah. So Same. I will not be using the 538 rankings or games of the week uh, for the again. foreseeable future. Yeah, you know, they, and they got paid great money for that. And it's just, they're wrong. It's like being a weatherman. It's like there's a 50% chance of rain, but also sun and, you know, back to you. Like, well, just... 538 said 90% chance. I mean, they still may be technically right, Sam, but that, that, that kind of implies it's going to be, it would be a lot easier than it's been. Oh man. Yeah. Right. And with uh, all the lawsuits yeah. and stuff. So Grail, yeah. what are you over? Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a philosophical thing. I'm just over divisiveness just yeah. generally. And uh, you know, the reason the, that we three of us love playing soccer, a team sport is because, you know, it was all about uh, pulling together and you're only as good as the people around you. And I just, I just hope we get to a place that we all come to that conclusion that we're only as good as those around us. And honestly, I mean, I know that sounds a little corny, but I'm exhausted from the divisiveness, yeah. you know? Right. And to think we're all Americans. I mean, the other thing yeah. is, that, you know, yeah, we were a team, we played on teams, but boy, I, I really got my, uh, you know, got, ticked off at the other team but in this case the other team is as other americans and so yeah we really have to sort of uh have a little bit of civility and and teach more civics in school so maybe that this isn't happening as much so speaking of being united as a nation the u.s squad uh for the november 12 game against wales it should be fun and a second friendly against panama four days later in austria 
Now, uh, Burhalter's put together one of the youngest squads uh, of 24 players that, that we've ever had. 19 age eligible for the 21 um, Summer Olympics and 14 who are 20 or younger. So, um, I mean, that's a, a young, young team. They're basically yeah. European-based. Got Christian Pulisic there with your uh, with your tried and true Chelsea there, Grail. I, he's battling an injury a little bit. Uh, Frank Lampard says it's not as bad as they had first suspected. Um, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Sergino Dest, Gio Reyna. So uh, a lot of young guys uh, there. You know, now what I think is interesting is here uh, Pulisic has, you know, been injured. They say it's slight. But now he gets called up for duty. I wonder what the conversations are like between Burhalter and uh, Frank Lampard. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think if it was a qualifier, it's a different conversation. I think for a friendly, it's like Frank is saying to uh, Burhalter, "Hey, not for nothing, we're thinking a few weeks, so we'd really appreciate you not playing him because we don't want him to." You, you guys all know with hamstrings, hamstrings, all it takes is one slight move, which is how he did it in training. He re-aggravated his hamstring before the last match. He sort of slipped. In in uh, warm-ups. Actually, in warm-ups. He was set to play in the game. So, again, you know, you got to be so careful with that. I mean, you think of Pulisic. He's played in three of the seven EPL games so far. Last season, he played in 25 of 38. So he's missing between 25 and 50% of the games he's playing in. I mean, he's played in four of eight Champions League games. So, I right. think the conversation, honestly, Flinny, is Lampard probably saying to Burhalter, hey, please, please don't play him. Well, unless you want him to get a run in, because they were trying to ease him back in, as it were. Um, and I don't know, you know, give him uh, 30 minutes at the end of the game or, you know, 20 minutes just to get a little run. Not, not I mean, sure. But but yeah, then you'd it's also. It's going to be a few weeks, though, Flinny. That would just take us, you know, the first game, I think, is November 12th, right? So that's a week from today. To me, if Frank Lampard said it's going to be three weeks or something, I mean, that's he's still recovering a week from now. So. I guess so. We don't know his situation, yeah. obviously, but yeah. I, I'm just saying he would, uh, he might want to get a little bit of a run in. I know I would. Um, so, you know, to get back, because uh, there's nothing like that. You know, you train all you want, but you need game fitness. Now it's a friendly, so who knows what level it'll be at, but it's, yeah. a, it's you know, an international friendly. So, and uh, Claudio Reyna's son, Gio, is only 17 years old. He's one of 10 uncapped players that they have. Um, so I, I didn't know this goalkeeper, Chitritu uh, Adunze. He played with Reyna in 219, the under-17s. Um, and Valencia midfielder, Yunus Musa, who was born in New York City and is only uh, 17 years old. Chris Richards, Conrad De La Fuente. We watched him play in the under-20s uh, there. Richard De Lesma. Um, Ledesma. How do you say it? Ledesma. Ledesma. And he had a, what do you have, an assist this week? Yeah, he had an assist for PSV. He played his first game there in the Dutch league. And, yeah. yeah, and Sebastian Soto, we saw him play in the under-20s, and then Timothy Way uh, watched him play. So the other uh, uncapped players are Johnny Cardoza, Nicholas uh, Giancetti, uh, Giancini. This is like your biggest nightmare. Oh, my God. I feel like George W. Bush, <laughs> You're man. being forced to <laughs> and pronounce Owen, names. <laughs> Otasawi and Owen Otasawi. So, well, like, look, this is the thing, guys. Uh, this is that time of uh, year and qualification when – suddenly new people emerge. And I think this is great. We have uh, players that we, you know, some we haven't heard of. So they're, you know, they're, they're coming of age and uh, they're getting a look. And uh, these are problems we never had before, you know, where, where we used to watch a national team be relatively unchanged for maybe two cycles mm-hmm. even. You know? so, there was uh, uh, an article this morning in Soccer America, Paul Kennedy, um, talking about Eunice Musa, who you mentioned, born in New York, 
to Ghanaian parents, spent yeah. his youth in Italy, and then moved to England to join Arsenal's academy, uh, and is now starting games already for Valencia uh, in the first team in La Liga. So pretty impressive. Um, he's only 17, right? Only 17. Oh uh, Kennedy also points out that of the 24 players called in for the games against Wales and Panama, 16 are or were eligible, eligible to play for two or more countries countries so uh, a lot of guys from a lot of different places in this team this is I, just I, yeah I, I, I look i love the youth movement and actually i'm much more excited about this team right now because i'd rather you know learn and maybe lose a little bit i mean obviously we want to qualify but i would rather have like the next wave come in and have everybody's just start playing together I'll get some experience sure. and just, yeah and just move on i mean just turn the page i think it's exciting and this is basically where the world is right now. Yeah. You know, the, the world is, uh, it's, you know, it used to be an Argentinian player was, had lived his whole life in Argentina, played his professional career in Argentina. You know, and this is uh, where people are global citizens now. So uh, we all, we all got to remember that as uh, we're looking around, especially in America, you know, we're a land of immigrants. So parents, one parent from one place, one parent from the other place, but you, uh, you come here and you're an American, so uh, so good stuff. I mean, that's this mm-hmm. is going to be fun and interesting to watch. I mean, we'll have to uh, we'll have to follow up with the, on those shows to sort of break down a lot yeah. of these players that we're going to get a chance to look at. Um, I wanted to mention this, uh, Sam, uh, in MLS news, LA Galaxy interested in Robbie Keane. I think that would be a nice move, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much about Keane as a coach, but he was certainly pretty loved in L.A. Um, definitely did his bit, came over, scored a bunch of goals, really played with a lot of heart from what I remember. Um, he does have a little bit of managerial experience. He was a player manager in the Indian Super League in 2018. My old job. Uh, and he was uh, in. Show, he had a, a role at Middlesbrough and with the Republic of Ireland. Uh, I'm not clear exactly what he was doing there, but so he's got a little. He's got a little background. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, think I, I the, really the Irish like, do well here. Yeah, I like the idea that the MLS could become this sort of incubator for young coaches. Um, I think tactically that could be cool, uh, and just give us a, a, I don't know a little bit more of an identity that maybe the league's missing right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And uh, MLS, you had this MLS unites the vote grail. Yeah, just uh, tip of the cap to MLS. I mean, a lot of the leagues did similar outreach, but just, uh, you know, it was a great initiative to just to mobilize people to vote on November 3rd, which seems like it was about six years ago uh, in the current time cycle we're in. But uh, yeah, they, they, the uh, MLS offices were closed for election day so that all the employees could vote. And um, a lot of representatives within the teams got their fellow teammates to to register and vote. Nashville and LAFC had full participation. Um, So yeah, it was great. Again, I I love it. I love it. I I just feel like the leagues and and the players have really stepped up and from an activism standpoint, you know, getting the vote out is great. Well, again, the global citizen thing. And a lot of people say, you know, with uh, someone told LeBron James to shut up and dribble, it's like, he's not supposed to express his opinion. I, I I just don't get it. You, and also how voting is not a national holiday. You have to take a day off from work, especially when the lines are six, seven hours long. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's trying to get people not to vote. And so as screwy as this election has been, as crazy as it's all happening, uh, the good news is that so many people voted. You, you oh want to vote. God. It's uh, great. So, all right, so let's move on to Champions League, guys. Um, I, Sam, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Weston McKinney starts at right midfield. Um, 
gets his first assist over Juve over the weekend. What, uh, what do you read into that, that move? Uh, yeah, so McKenny. So this is going back to the weekend before in Serie. Yeah. Uh, he yep. started at right mid, got his first assist in Serie. A. Um, and I think it's worth pointing out because I think this is how he's going to be used um, at Juve. I don't. I don't think right midfield is his most natural position. Right. But I think he's viewed there as a kind of wild card who can fill in uh, multiple roles. Uh, they've talked about him even playing in a back three at times. Um, Pirlo has been experimenting with different formations. This was just a basic 4-4-2. But uh, I think it's sort of indicative of how he's going to be seen and implemented going forward. Um, he also had a pretty nice assist in the Champions League this week uh, with a nice dummy. Actually, it's not an assist technically, but it was a very nice dummy that led uh, to dummy is worth an assist in my book. Uh, so, yeah. You know, it's interesting. That could be a double-edged sword being a utility player. Um, you're worthwhile to your team, but sometimes individually as a player, you know, you don't clearly define your position. I wonder, um, I don't see him as, as an outside back, perhaps central. Um, but, uh, so we're, we're made to be seen. Did he look exposed out wide? I thought he played. Okay. Um, you know, Pirlo's team so far, what, however it's lined up, whether it's a three, five, two, four, four, two has mm-hmm. been very fluid. I mean, guys seem to be wandering all over the field, sort of almost at random. Like so Pirlo. there were times <laughs> when he was more central. There were times when he was higher up the pitch, um, which again was talked about a lot when he was signed, you know, the versatility that he brings. So I, I thought he, I thought he played okay. I mean, it was against one of the worst teams in the league, so I'm not going to take a ton away from it, but um, I, th- I thought he was all right. Uh, what's the update on Jesse Marsh, uh, our American Princeton educated Coach yeah, so such great luck, but they're at the bottom of Group A. Yeah, we're three matches into the group stage right now, and I, I you know, I don't know. I don't think there's too much worth talking about because I think basically the bigger mm-hmm. teams are all going to qualify. But and let's um, be honest, it's a little boring early on, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I mean, it can. There can be some fun games, but I feel like teams yeah. have to sort of dig themselves into a hole to then make the games exciting. Um, but anyway, Jesse Marsh's uh, Salzburg is at the bottom of Group A with just one point, so they're basically going to have to struggle just to finish third and make the Europa League. Sort of too bad because we talked about last week that they play well and they're fun to watch. They just are not perhaps the most uh, clinical and are not great at closing out games. Uh, Some other surprises, Real Madrid and Inter are both uh, in third and fourth place in their Group B behind Moshen Gladbach and Shakhtar Donetsk. So there's a chance that you know, perhaps an unfancy team gets through there. And then finally, PSG are struggling a little bit. They have uh, mm-hmm. just one win in three matches. So they are currently behind Man United and RB Leipzig in Group yeah. H. So to me, those are the kind of stories worth watching. Yeah, and uh, it looks like Barcelona's cruising along. Yeah, they're, they're one of the few uh, undefeated teams. Uh, you've essentially got, I think, three teams that are now uh, or excuse me, Bayern, Man City, Barca, and Liverpool are the only remaining teams with uh, three straight wins. They look fine. I, I still can't quite figure out who Barca is at the moment. I think Coleman is trying to figure it out. They, it was funny. They had a lot of isolated shots of Coleman during their match, and the guy looked like he was witnessing you know, his children misbehaving or something. That's a lot of pressure, just, man. He was, he was yeah. exasperated. But I do get. I need to get something back to uh, to Sam on something. The dummy. Why don't you talk about the dummy in soccer? The dummy has virtually gone away, and I don't know about you, Flinny, but I loved. Like I prided myself, and you never want to overuse it. It's like a drop shot in tennis. 
you don't want to overuse the dummy, but a right. well placed like dummy, the bicycle kick. We had one no, kid yeah, with no, a bicycle well kick everywhere. Dummy in a in a match is yeah. just gold, and I just feel like it's kind of disappeared. Even the dummy give and go, or have oh, you ever yeah. dummy the ball to yourself? Yeah, well, let's say a guy's playing on, on you tight. You 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 hit the ball to me at midfield, and yeah. I'm coming back for it, and I feel the guy tight on me. As it's cut right as it gets to me, I let it go. Yeah, you lean and spin. You yeah. lean and spin and go around. And, you know, a lot of those things just for some reason, they're, they're just not done anymore. Well, Sala does it all the time. Firmino does it. I think, you know, yeah, Liverpool yeah. does it pretty well. How about Jota uh, gelling with this team right yeah, away? Yeah, so, so Jota, I mean, you know, so they got him. Jota, have I said one word correctly? No, today? You, you <laughs> basically, you pronounced, you pronounced OTB correctly, so that was good. But, uh, no, so 23 years old, Portuguese. Uh, had been at Wolves. Uh, Liverpool paid 50, 45 million pounds for him. And he, you know, they were like, oh, God, what did we get for him? He has been on a tear. He's got seven goals in his first 10 club appearances. Um, only Michael Owen and Sadio Mane have celebrated an away hat trick in Europe for Liverpool. And here's another stat that's, uh, that's pretty remarkable. Usually it's Sam with the stats. You guys. Well, listen to this. He's the first Liverpool player to score in his first three Champions League starts since Robbie Keane. Wow. So he's putting up massive numbers, and Firmino is the odd guy out. Amazingly, Firmino, who's like the engine, in my mind, of that front line, just can't get in because of your clock. How can you not play Jota? Jota is just, you got to go with the hot hand. All right. And uh, Sam, I wanted to ask you about Atalanta. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, that's pretty good. Of, yeah. The yeah. darlings of Syria uh, last yeah. season. Yeah. What, uh, yeah. Was last season an anomaly? Uh, well, they've been good for a while. I mean, they were in the Champions League last year, so yeah. they finished in the top four the year before. So they've been very good for two or three years now. Um, there is some talk that we may be witnessing sort of the end of the cycle. Um, they've not been great in Serie A to start this campaign. Um, they obviously got blown out by Liverpool in Champions League this week. Um, I think what people should remember is that they struggled early in the Champions League last year, too, and managed to turn it around. They had some heavy losses right away. And their style of game is very you know, modern, I guess we could call it, in that they press very high up the pitch. They basically play one-on-one all over the field. And as we've seen, you know, when that goes south, it really goes south. Um, and when you're playing against a team like Liverpool, it can go even further south, oh I guess. Gosh. So uh, I watched only the first half of this one, by which point the game was basically over. I mean, yeah. I always get worried when a small team gets into the Champions League because they have to manage all these extra games. They don't have as nearly the, the roster the depth, yeah. size that other teams do. Um so, you know, I think there's a little bit of that going on, too, trying to kind of weigh their priorities. But this is going to be a tough year for them to finish in the top four again because they're, uh, there's, there are a lot of good teams in Serie A that are fighting for it. So, mm-hmm. All right. Other highlights in the group stage. Uh, Sergio Ramos. Yeah, I got to get it. Where's his 100th goal? Sergio Ramos is the guy that everybody loves to hate. I mean, nice. he's probably one of the most despised players in soccer. He's a cheap but shot look, artist. But think about this. 500 appearances for, for uh, Real Madrid. The uh, 100th goal, you know, countless matches for the Span- uh, Spain's national team. I mean, the guy's going to go down as one of the great defenders in the history of the game. I mean, he's just put up numbers that are remarkable, and he continues to play at a very high level. He's a badass, man. I wouldn't want to see is. him. In a- oh, my God. He's Raw, a beast. He's that. a beast out there. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they look like – but, again, Real Madrid's struggle is they, they continue giving up, like, two goals 
a game. They're they're winning, but they're giving up too many goals. So they got to they got to solve that issue. Uh, your uh, Chelsea boys, Werner scores two PKs in Chelsea's 3-0 win. Yeah, I feel like the big strikers, I'm not going to focus on Chelsea for a change. I feel like yes. the big the big strikers around the world, Lewandowski had a couple goals. Holland yeah. had a couple goals. Werner, like, it, it's, it's, it's cool to see. I mean, I love watching really good strikers, and I just think right now you've got some ones that are in great form. All right, I want to ask you guys about this. So, you know, you're a Chelsea fan, Grail. I am. You watch you watch Champions League. If if a Premier League is playing against a Serie A team or something from the Dutch league, who do you who do you root for? Do you still do you root do you root for your league or uh, individual teams? I I would not. I root for my club. And uh, if it was a case of an English club playing a, a Spanish La Liga club in the final, I would maybe root for the English club unless I just despise them. But generally, I just stick. No, I don't have a loyalty across English teams playing. I'm not rooting for Liverpool in the Champions League, put it that way. Sam, different take in, in Italy? and oh, well, Yeah, definitely in Italy. There, there's been some funny debate on Twitter about this every time an Italian team kind of progresses in Champions League. Last year was the Europa League. And there's this movement to try to get people into Inter who are not Inter fans and kind of support them in this game. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why it matters. I mean, you know, if, as if they're going to feel this, like, groundswell of online support. But there is – in Italy, it seems like people – like you're saying, Grail, you won't, you know, necessarily root for a team, but you won't root against them. In right. Italy, it seems like they root against, you know, their direct rivals – and I, I, it's just, it's curious to me because I feel like from an American standpoint, we send, we tend to see these leagues as like their own entities where it's like, mm-hmm. I'm an EPL fan, I'm a Serie A fan. And I think within the country, it's a lot different. You know, I think they're yeah. just like, I'm a Fiorentina fan. I don't, I don't really care about the league as a whole. It doesn't have this kind of the same imagery that it does maybe to us over here. But I don't know. I just, I think it's an interesting debate. So, mm-hmm. so but you've talked about this before, Sam, that seems culturally sort of Italian in, in a lot of ways. Yes, very, very Italian. Um, there is not this I mean, I'm watching the Maradona special with, with Na- you know, Naples and the Napolitans mm-hmm. and how, you know, that whole argument about how they would root against each other. Yeah, so in Italy, I don't know if this is true also in England, Grail, but um, generally in Italy, you have two or three teams that you are what it's called twinned with. Yeah. You basically have like this brotherhood kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And these allegiances sort of change from time to time. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there are teams that you kind of root for. If, if, For example, Fiorentina has a, a twinning with uh, Torino and also with Verona. So it's kind of okay to root for those teams. You have these sort of alliances, but um, on the whole, you definitely don't support yeah and in, in in England it's so the loyalties run so deep I mean you would never in your wildest dreams have a Liverpool supporter rooting for Man United against anybody ever. yeah but if they were in the Champions League you don't think no or? no effing way not no. it would be like it's like they asking you know wouldn't would a Red Sox fan like root for the Yankees because they're both in the AL East like it would never yeah. happen well that's no. something that doesn't get tested here in the states uh, unfortunately you know, yeah. um, it's like an MLS team playing in, uh, you know, uh, the the Mexican teams in the, in the Open Cup kind of stuff. Where of course, I mean, put it this American way, team, the Red right? Sox were in the World Series and they were playing against the San Francisco Giants. Uh, that would be no brainer. We're talking I all domestic here, though. We're talking all domestic. So no, I know. But, uh, and we're talking but, about our politics think, right now. I, I say to people, that's like Red Sox, Yankees, because 
you know, I'm from Connecticut, which is like Switzerland. I used to watch the games when I was, you know, going to graduate school. I remember sitting with Red Sox and Yankee fans. They view everything differently. It'd be a totally. you know, they'd be like, that's a strike. That's a ball. I'm like, the guy hasn't pitched it yet. Shut up. <laughs> so, all right. I, uh, before we get going, because I'm looking forward to getting to John Champion, I just want to touch base quickly um, on EPL, but also some, some um, COVID news because it's going to affect, you know, uh, first of all, they had 150 cases in the Dutch league, and now you know Boris Johnson, the British pre- prime minister. Uh, there's a UK they're lockdown. Yeah, they're there's a UK. Down, so. There's a UK lockdown. Uh, English Premier League is exempt, um, but my question is exempt for how long? Because um, they're back to like March, April type, um, you know, st- strategies that they're t- enforcing, and uh, who knows? It's it, it, it's going to be hard to isolate like players. I just think it's going to be very hard to keep players from getting positive tests. But we'll see what happens. Keep them in the bubble. You know? Yeah. So uh, all right. But Old so Trafford. We- but just quickly, Flinny, on that point, Man United had been planning like in a, in the next few weeks of bringing about twenty thousand fans into Old Trafford as kind of a test. That's no way. No that's way. over. That's not. That's happening. not going to happen for months. All right. Yeah. So that's, that's the EPL. We won't, we won't go through that. Um, yeah. But Sam, anything else uh, we got, Sam? What's up with Syria? Ah, anything you want to yeah, get well, off your chest? First, just what you, what you guys were talking about. Uh, there have been some talks about shutting things down in Italy, too, because there have been just a rash of cases, um, not only across the country, but um, within teams themselves. Uh, I mean, Lazio have played their last two Champions League games severely uh, undermanned because of COVID. And it's just really starting to impact the league. So there is talk about it there. Um, I did want to discuss one incident from this past weekend, which um, in Crotone Atalanta, which I'm sure both you guys saw. Um, oh, yeah. it was a, That's how I'd pronounce it too. It was a good game, um, but I, which Atalanta won. But it's not the result that concerns me. There was, there was a moment in the game with Crotone trailing 2-1 to one, where the Crotone striker had a breakaway, actually off a bad pass from an Atalanta yeah. defender back to his keeper, intercepted it. Took the ball around the keeper. The keeper reached out an arm, hit him right in the midsection, right in the stomach, clearly impeded him and sort of messed with his, you know, stride. Changed his gait and direction towards the goal. But he didn't go down. Mm -hmm. And the ball was still playable, but he wasn't able to reach it because then the defender got in. So That's a PK. The point I'm making is that had he gone down, it would have been a penalty all day. But the call was not made. Um, and so I don't really understand how the advantage rule works right now because you'll see a guy get taken down, then the ball you know, falls to the next guy yeah. who misplaces the pass, and the ref still stops it. So to me, the initial advantage was given, but then it didn't materialize fully. So it seems to be at the, at the discretion of the ref. Yeah, right now. that's right. And I think it's all about advantage. And, and if you maintain your advantage – Mm-hmm. then the play will go on. But if yeah. you if you lose your advantage in the flow of the play, they will whistle it. And I actually think, Sam, they've gotten it pretty right, uh, like over the most recent years. But wait, but wait, Grail, that's not the point of his question. I think the yeah. thing is, does a player have to go down for it to be called so this advantage? Is, this is well, my point. And this is why, like, you know, people love to rag on people diving which I, and yeah. faking injury, which I absolutely agree with. But I think you have to acknowledge the fact that if you get fouled and you don't go down you might not get the call yeah and i think that's a big problem right that's well, a problem because if you hit him if you hit him in the midsection if he hit yeah. him in the midsection with his arm yeah. Yeah. uh that's a foul 
But yeah. it's one of those, the million fouls you see that you, you don't have to go down. You could easily right, but it should feet. be called. But if you don't, right. you're not going to get the well, call. And, and you're right. It's totally subjective for the referee to say, have you been turned, you know, if somebody took you and twisted you around so you were unable to make a play on the ball, but you didn't go down, you still got twisted around and you weren't making a play on the ball. So in my mm. mind, it's a penalty or a foul, I just, whatever. I just got twisted around on that analogy. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, but you know what I'm saying. It, yeah, yeah, no, really, absolutely. It, it, it's, it's the act. It's not the end result. It's mm-hmm. like Harry Maguire against Aspilicueta a couple of weeks ago. He was all over, climbing all over him and whatever, and uh, Aspilicueta didn't go down, but he was totally impeded from making the play. It should right, have been a right. penalty. I think he actually did go down. But I think, yeah. I think Gary, I sent you guys a tweet by Gary, yeah, Lineker, Gary basically Lineker, seeing, yeah. you know, basically saying, you've got to call, make the call. See, I think the problem is, as you're, as you're about to make the call, do you want to let the play play out? And yeah. the advantage should be with the player. So if it doesn't play out, then you get the call. At right. that point, so here, you know, I think, not, not you know, that if you don't fall down, you no, don't. No, but get it's also call. it's also different, guys, depending on what part of the pitch you're in. Because Sam, to your point, when you're in the box, it's a totally different deal. If you're in the if you're out in the the play, hands off, galloping around or whatever, I think it's an easier. And, and you beat a guy, and he kind of trips you, and you stumble, but you still maintain possession. You're going to play on, yeah. right? If you're in the box and you're denied a scoring chance, it's a little bit of a different scenario. Yeah, I think so. One thing I think, you know, to, to take an American sport or a North American sports, you know, example, I, I love how in basketball and hockey, you're actually rewarded for fighting through a foul, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can get a three point play in hockey, you can get a delayed penalty and get even more time with an extra attacker. So I'm wondering if soccer couldn't implement the rule that hockey does, where if there's a foul, the ref calls it, but he doesn't blow his whistle and puts his arm up and does not blow his whistle until the other team touches the ball. Yeah. Would that be ridiculous? That. No, that's not ridiculous. It's just, it's another layer of officiating that needs to, but I don't think it's that difficult. I, I think certainly in open play, it's worked pretty well, but I agree with you, Sam. In the box, it's a totally different deal. Hey, I stay in the box. It's like a Catholic school dance. No touching. All right. All right. So we're going to take on that note. We will uh, we'll take a break and uh, we'll be joined by ESPN's John Champion. It's always great to talk to John. He's a, a wealth of knowledge about uh, our game here domestically as a lead voice for MLS and also all his knowledge overseas, 32 years in the business. Uh, so stick around listening to Over the Ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. Joining us now on Over the Ball is a man who has been uh, well, covering this game we love for over 36 years, and uh, he's only 38 years old. He, he has broadcast every single World Cup and UEFA championship since 1990. He's covered three Olympics and is currently the lead commentator of EPL's global output, and he's now taken over. We're really happy about this as the lead broadcaster for ESPN's MLS coverage. John Champion, a returning champion, welcome back to Over the Ball. Great to be back with you. How are you all? We're good. So some crazy times, some crazy times here. But um, MLS, you guys have basically gotten through the season here. Talk a little bit about your experiences here, because it certainly has to be a unique one. Yeah, let's let's not count any chickens at this stage. We're not there yet. (laughs) Almost. There's there's talk bubbling around about a bubble, potentially, for the playoffs. 
just Ooh. because I think MLS are concerned that one or two clubs have been particularly badly hit, Colorado prime among them, but Minnesota have had issues, several others. Um, and there is the risk, given the, the quick-fire nature of these one-off playoffs, that if a team succumbs to a, a batch of positive COVID tests, it could just knock them out completely because there wouldn't be the time for them to go through quarantine, recover, and then come back into the playoffs. So this was floated by my colleague Taylor Twelman, who's got his ear pretty, pretty close to the ground usually last week saying that there is informal talk about the potential of creating some sort of bubble. I don't think it'll be like the bubble that we had in Orlando for MLS's back, uh, right. back in July and, and August, but some form of venue, neutral venue, where some of the teams would decamp to and then they create a bubble. I'm, I'm not convinced it's going to happen, but the fact that they're talking about it, I think shows that we can't be complacent in thinking that we're definitely, definitely going to get through this season. I, I think there are still some question marks against it, particularly as the daily number of COVID cases rises as fast as it is at the moment. Right. It's uh, spiking again. Do you, do you think, is it, is there, and this may be a bad question, I'm not sure, but is there an element of uh, some teams taking the COVID sort of situation more seriously than others? Um, or is, I don't even know what I'm asking. Is it part no, of your team preparation to not get COVID to all, you know, be, bubbled as much as you can be and uh, you know some people have done it much better than others maybe. yeah yeah i'm not sure is, it, is that one of the elements that goes into making it through the playoffs it's like like dealing with injuries i think so uh, i mean there's definitely a geographical element to it depending on oh, how right. badly hit that particular part of the country is where a specific team might be based but i think at the same time i mean i can't absolutely without equivocation say that uh some teams have taken it lightly but we do talk to some of the coaches on a weekly basis in preparation for our matches and several of them have alluded to the fact that they've been a little annoyed at what they think is a discrepancy between the seriousness with which maybe they have taken COVID and some other clubs have maybe right. taken it less seriously and therefore have been hit so I can absolutely understand that because some of these teams have been living monk-like existences now for five six months you know, no fun uh, all socializing off, um, basically just going from their homes to the training ground and then occasionally to a match and then back again, no frills to their existences at all. Whereas others, we think, have on occasion been out for a, a team meal or a, a little bit of a quiet party, which is not really the way to do it. So that's not throwing any particular stones at any particular clubs, but I think it's, it's just a fact that Inevitably, if you gather together more than a thousand humans across 26 different clubs, there are going to be differing attitudes to this. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what I was sort of going at. And you, you got to it. Because look, even if it's in our own personal lives, we know people who everybody you meet takes this whole uh, quarantining thing to one extreme or the other. You know, it's like my, my daughter, it's just, you, you know, the younger ones, especially, well, I guess the college kids are not uh, being so great with it, but uh, it seems like the high school kids are really quarantining. My daughter would like to be in a bunker with Ava Braun for God's sake, with nothing, you know, uh, meeting no one and seeing no one. And then some people are just out there all the time. So that's, you basically answer the question. You, you need to reward teams that, that actually do quarantine. So Grail? Yeah, I was, just, I was obviously skirting around it slightly because I, I don't want to throw any accusations directly at mm -hmm. anyone, but I think it's a fair assumption that there have been differing attitudes to it. Yeah. So, John, great having you. So the playoffs are upon us. Um, from your perspective, who do you like in terms of uh, their current form and uh, who might be a dark horse or two? Okay. Um, 
Can I go dark horse first? Bill? Absolutely. You can go whatever direction you want. If they make it, which makes them the darkest of dark horses at this stage, because I'm having to say if they make it, nearly all the places are filled. But if Inter Miami can make it, can scrape in on decision day, the final weekend, then I think they've got half a chance of making a run at this. Maybe not going absolutely all the way, but certainly of knocking out some teams that would expect to go all the way. Um, and that's based on a wonderful experience, actually, last weekend, where I called our game on ABC, which was uh, Philadelphia at Columbus. And then having had to drive down to ESPN HQ in Bristol, glittering Bristol, Connecticut, um, I then had to drive back to Boston, which took me past Wrenchler Field, East Hartford, sure. where a crowd of 5,000 was allowed to attend Toronto, whose temporary home it is, against into Miami. So in pouring rain, Taylor Twelman, myself and some of our producers decamped, had a bit of a, a tailgate, a socially distanced tailgate party, I might add, in pouring rain at Wrenchler Field with Pepe's Pizza, and, uh, and a few beers, and then watch the game. Um, By the way, Pepe's Pizza, for those of you out across the country, it is the pizza. The best. I, I, the instant best. Convert, instant convert. Um, and, and happily, just down the street from where I live in Boston, there is a, a, a Pepe's. So I'm going to be... Um, John, John, that. John, it's yeah. Pepe's. Pepe's Pizza. Pepe's. You put that beautiful English accent on it and makes us all feel uneducated. Over, <laughs> over the ball brought to you Pepe's. by Pepe's. Pepe's. It's <laughs> located in New Haven, Connecticut. It's the old Italian, you know, they built the oven and a lot of Yaleys go there. And, and uh, I know a couple that actually order about 50 pies a year to be flown to them wherever they are. <laughs> that's, how, that's how good it is. Our boss, the, the sort of producer-in-chief of the soccer output at ESPN is a guy called Chris Alexopoulos, whose wife is a tenured professor at Yale, and they live in New Haven. And he tells me that this is going to be my ultimate U.S. culinary experience when we can <laughs> finally go to pe Pepe's. Pepe's, yeah, Pepe's In New Haven. So I'm, oh. I'm very much looking forward to that. He took me once uh, to the one in Fairfield, telling me that that was a, ran at a close second. And we pull into the parking lot on the way back from the game at Yankee Stadium at 10.01 p.m. and they closed at 10. So that's how close I've been to having the proper Pepe's experience. All right. This was we'll get you the one in New Haven. We'll get you the one in New Haven. I'd love right, it. So you're at Rensselaer Field there and Toronto's to camp there. And, um... Yeah, they have. So they played six games there now, I think. Um, and this one was against Inter Miami. And it was someone in Congress to turn up at this slightly rotting concrete bowl of a college stadium, University of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. But to see Gonzalo Higuain and Blaise Matuidi out there on the pitch, strutting their stuff. And although they lost the game to Toronto, who I think, if you were to press me against the wall and say, who are your favourite Tremolese Cup at the moment, I would probably say Toronto. Um, Inter Miami ran them close, and they are a team that's evolving on a weekly basis as they get to know each other um, and to understand the coach, Diego Alonso. So I think they could have a run at this. So they're my dark horse. I've let slip that Toronto would probably be my favourites. But I think, without being too boring about this, you can't write off the likes of Seattle, who are the, the course and distance specialists at getting through the playoffs. And then there's the conundrum of LAFC, who go and lose a, a, against San Jose, having actually won the majority of their recent matches and with a number of their heavy hitters coming back into the lineup, They're going to be dangerous, come what may. And it may suit them that they're not going to hit the playoffs as the outright favourites to win MLS Cup. Maybe that has weighed a little heavily on their shoulders the last two years. Mm -hmm. that, that could be a good thing for them. Yeah, you come, yeah. Uh, come from behind a little bit instead of being the, the, the front runner there for a while. So you're calling these games without fans at the stadiums. We've uh, talked about this before, but how does that change your approach to, uh, to announcing? It's really difficult. You have to speak a bit more, which goes against the grain for, for me. Um, I like to let the pictures tell the story, and hopefully that's still the case. But 
if there is no fake Atmos being pumped into the broadcast mm -hmm. or into the stadium, then it, it does need helping along a little bit with the odd extra facts or the odd extra story. And, and Taylor Twelman is always keen to indulge in a in a sort of side narrative, which is is great. It's, it's does it, as he Taylor generally talks about the goals he scored. I think uh, yeah, he tries to, but I've, I've now learned how to <laughs> drag him away from that. As long as you include him in the subject line in some way. Then right, you, exactly. to, to you know, strikers, they talk about themselves. That's uh, the way it works. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, he's, he's a, a very typical example of that breed. Um, so, yeah, it makes it it makes it uh, a less satisfying experience calling these games. Um, the last two that we've had or the last two Sundays on ABC have been at stadiums where the clubs have taken the decision to pipe fake audio into the stadium, into the arena to try and help the players. Um, and that's worked okay, but it, it sounds a little bit disembodied. Um, and obviously you're not really getting that in your ears, so it's difficult to know where to pitch your voice for it to sound right. So oh, interesting. It's, yeah. it's an awkward experience. I saw a, a tweet from Ian Dark the other day saying, goodness me, we're grateful to be working, grateful to have football, soccer to watch, but goodness me, we need this to end soon because it is a soul-destroying experience watching professional soccer at the moment, let alone try to broadcast it. Yeah, the novelty has worn off. It's it's almost like they're DJs. They've gotten better about it, but uh, you know, they, it it never quite matches, like you said, the the um, the action. It's a little delayed. It's a little behind. It's a little fake. You know, you can hear the hometown DJ basically work in the booth. You can. Um, I mean, Fox have done a really nice job, I think, on their broadcast. They've mm -hmm. actually got some people into mix sounds specifically, uh, but they've taken a policy decision that they're going to have the fake audio. We at ESPN have taken the opposite decision that we're not, and we're going to up the field mics and try and hear the coaches. And it's only been the fact that the, the teams have been pumping in audio that we've had any sort of fake crowd in the background on our broadcast. That's not been our choice. It's been that of the host club. Yeah, as a former player in the beginning, I really liked when I heard the, the, the sounds on the field, um, you know, with the boys talking to each other, yelling at each other, get, you know, get back, you know, the square, all, all the stuff that you, you hear. It was sort of nice. I felt like it was at a, at a training session. But then again, you re realize, no, we're watching an actual game that counts for something. So, uh, yeah, this has been such an interesting year <laughs> politically, medically. Uh, athletically, it's just, uh, I saw a great t-shirt that applies to me. It says, uh, 2020 was still better than my first marriage. And I think, uh, that's, <laughs> that rings true. That's how tough this year wow. has been. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm just thinking 2020 has thrown up some unlikely heroes though. So I, I was talking to Jim Curtin, who's a, a guy that I've got to know that mm -hmm. head coach of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And, and I really admire what he's, he's done there with, relatively minimal resources. And I said to him, who would be your player of the year or the, the person that you would pick out from your club? You know, you've had a, a really good season. He said, it's a guy, you won't have heard of him. He's called Garrison Draper. And I said, you're quite right. Excuse my ignorance, but who is he? He said, he's our head of sports performance and he has been our most important player because in these turbulent times, he's kept virtually all the players fit virtually all the time. So people are coming out of the shadows who, yeah, they have important roles to fulfill, but given the circumstances, given the problems, they've actually become even more important to a number of these clubs. You know, that's funny because that wasn't around when most of us played. I, I remember talking to Brian McBride. I said, you know, they, they, the one thing they told us, and I've told this story before, you know, after a game, you know, don't talk to the press right away, have a beer or two and calm down, take a shower. And he goes, a beer? 
And I go, yeah. He goes, how old are you? I go, why? He goes, nobody has beer in the locker room anymore. I go, what do they have? He goes, they have a sports drink programmed for your body. I'm like, oh my God, things have changed. So uh, it's true. You know, you have these bodies have to, you know, uh, function at a high level and uh, recovery and all that stuff that's now checked. And you have a, a guy like that. And especially with a season that we're in the midst of, um, makes a lot of sense. But to your point, going back to that era in which you starred and, and maybe a little bit before that, it amazes me to think that Nottingham Forest won the English League title, the forerunner of the Premier League, with 13 players. They named 13 players on their team sheet throughout the entire season in the days when you could only have one substitute. This is 40 years ago. They had a genius of a manager called Brian Clough. Mm -hmm. But oh, to yeah, think you could do that, because you look at a run-of-the-mill MLS team, they're using, so far this season, 28, 29, 30 players. All in. It's just a different game now. Yeah. Right, right. Grail? Uh, yeah, John. So I actually had this question for you um, teed up anyway, and then I read the very sad news about ESPN um, laying off 300 people, and obviously our hearts go out to all your colleagues who will be affected by that. But I'm just curious, you know, due to COVID, the whole production side of sports television has changed. Um, and from an efficiency standpoint, I'm just wondering if you think that that has changed forever and it's really moving forward it's going to be more about what is uh acceptable versus what is good in terms of you know just saving money yeah it's a great question grail and i fear the answer is that it's changed forever i desperately hope that it hasn't because this is whilst it's the best way of doing things that we have at the moment it's desperately unsatisfactory as a broadcaster to have to cover the games in the way that we are because we just can't do the job properly we can't see enough from what that small screen is showing us to tell the story and to interpret if you're the analyst why the game is heading in the direction that it is coupled with the fact that the art of directing soccer in the United States is still developing so it's even more difficult to cover a game off monitor here than it is maybe in Europe where perhaps some of the direction is a little more mature and understanding you get yourself into some positions here where you're just left hanging as the commentator because you do not know what has happened i mean last night i was watching a game between minnesota and chicago and chicago scored what they thought was a 93rd minute winner which was actually disallowed in the end for a very tight offside but you wouldn't have had any idea and the poor commentators who were clearly off monitor had no idea that the goal had been chalked off because the director chose to focus on the celebrations didn't understand the wider picture that in fact, there was some debate it was going to go to VAR. Um, so you can find yourself sent down a cul-de-sac with no way of getting back out of it. So it is really not the route that I would want to go down to broadcast games. But I think there will be elements of it because of the, the tightening of budgets, the inevitable tightening of budgets off the back of this, and the still rising cost of rights fees, mm -hmm. which takes so much of the, the production money out yep. of the pot. So there's relatively little to actually put the stuff on air. And that's what's happened in my previous experience in British television, that the rights fees, particularly for Premier League football, are now so exorbitantly high that there's virtually nothing left in the coffers to actually put the games on the air to the level that you would like to. So I hope that doesn't happen here. I fear it might. I think there'll be an effort at ESPN still to send Taylor and myself to games once we're allowed to travel around the country uh, again. Uh, the, the company, the parent company, Disney, are not keen on that for fairly obvious reasons at the moment. But we hope that sometime next year we'll get back to the, the grounds. And it just allows us to cover the game in the way it's meant to be covered, rather than just hedging our bets and guessing, which we shouldn't be doing. 
You know, I, um, before we get Sam in here, one thing I wanted to mention, one of the things that's changed is technology. Mm. Where even when I started in the broadcast business, you know, years ago, you, you had a cameraman, a sound man, a, a, you know, a, a PA. Uh, you'd go into the editing booth and it was huge. And now you just have a kid with a, a, an iPhone and a laptop and he's able to pull off a lot of this stuff without all the, the, you remember, John, I'm sure you remember walking around with your cameraman and you felt bad for the guy because he had a 50 pound, you know, camera on his shoulder yes. for, for yeah. 12 hours or something as you're moving around. But, and so that's changed it as well. So I don't know what the future holds. No, I think it's slightly different with the match coverage. I mean, I agree with you. I think that's very much the future of, of reporting. Um, but I think for match coverage, if you're covering a game and you're having to mix 12 cameras or in the EPL or the Bundesliga, 25 cameras, that's not a sort of spotty kid straight out of college with his own little mixing desk. That is right. expertise. And those guys are still there. So for our MLS games this weekend, we're doing Philadelphia as they try and secure the supporters' shield. They've got a home game against New England. So our crew will still be on site. So that's all the usual cameramen, all the usual sound guys, the match director. It's just that ordinarily... Um, we'd be there as well, but we're not. So they have to be there, otherwise there is no match coverage. Uh, they're not all the same guys that we would usually use because of the travel issues are around the country. We try and have some consistency of crewing normally, but that's right. more difficult to achieve. Um, and that is important because you need specialist people on the specialist cameras to get the best coverage of, of football. But we're in, a, we're in an era at the moment of compromise, so we're just lucky to have the right. games and yeah, lucky to be able to cover them. So that's like a team vibe as well. You know, your crew, it's, uh, it's all together. It's a team. That's the thing. Like, Taylor and I were discussing this the other day, and I saw Al Michaels uh, having a similar conversation with someone on a, a podcast uh, about his relationship with Chris Collinsworth and his crew, that the thing we miss more than anything else is the camaraderie of being right. out on the road. Um, because my life has been traveling to football matches, and usually that's been driving long distances in Europe. Here it's flying long distances. But there's a little group of us, all of whom live in and around Boston and fly out of Logan, so myself, Taylor lives 20 miles down the road. Our producer, Mark Connolly, is 20 miles in the other direction. The head sound guy lives near Boston. So there's four or five of us that tend to travel around. We'll go and have a beer together, have a meal together the night before the game, which is an integral part of our production discussion in a very informal environment. And all that's gone. Now, for Sunday's game, for example, I'll leave home, drive two hours down to Connecticut, to Bristol, go into a deserted studio. Mm -hmm. They've taken all the staff out. So all the cameras are remote. There's no sound person actually whilst the broadcast is on. So Taylor and I sit there 10, 12 feet apart at the desk, commentate on the game from the desk, which is not ideal, but it's where we're at at the moment. But we don't actually interact with anyone else in the studio. All the cameras are robots. So it, right. it's quite disconcerting, actually. Sam? Yeah, John, speaking of the, uh, the future of the game, and I know this has been a, a unique season uh, here in the U.S. for MLS, but uh, I'm, I'm curious what your take has been on, you know, American sports in general, particularly soccer, and how some of those ideas may or may not in future kind of seep into the European game, which it, it always seems to be threatening to be doing with the Super League, no relegation, playoffs, ideas like that. I'm just curious what your take is. Um, I mean, I, I think there's always going to be that pressure for change in, in Europe because so many of the, of the owners come from other areas of the world. I mean, in particular, from the United States, if you look at the, the profile of the majority of Premier League club owners, and they are used to a closed shop. They don't really understand the idea of relegation. They think that they bought a franchise. By the way, I hate that word. Franchise. Yeah. How can yeah. it be? It's like you own a McDonald's. 
a sports yeah a sports team is a living breathing organism it's not a franchise in in my humble opinion it's a club and the word club right. indicates togetherness and the cause franchise is just a horribly cold business term mm -hmm. it's a means of making money um so i anyway rant over but it does concern me i think the thing that will protect the premier league and the collectivity of the premier league is the fact that they actually make more money from the extremely lucrative television deal that they've got at the moment than they would potentially from a European Super League. So although the American owners, led by John W. Henry um, and, and also by the Glazers, uh, very keen to try and get their hands on a, a European Super League and get their teams into it, I, I always think they get so far down the line, it always coincides with the clubs negotiating with UEFA over the terms for the next three, four years of the Champions League. And it's always used as a bargaining chip with UEFA. And I suspect it will be again on this. And I very much hope it, it doesn't change because the partisan nature of football support in Europe is such that I just think people would get bored with a European Super League yeah. and the same teams playing the same teams uh, maybe four times a season. We've seen that in MLS, very different picture. But this Philadelphia New England game that I'm currently prepping for at the weekend, it's the fifth time this season those sides will have played each other, which is... It, it's understandable in the second. Well, you got some grudges brewing there, I bet. Well, have, five but, games. It, but it's also, I don't want to see them play each other again. Just as right. I, I don't really want to see Brian play Inter Milan five times in the same season. Right. Yeah. You know, when you talk Super League, it's funny. It reminds me of that old James Conn movie, Rollerball. Remember, each country had a team. And uh, so the, the madness. Yeah, I think the provinciality of, of rooting for a team. And um, it's just, it's sort of getting away from that further and further. Uh, Sam? Yeah, John, and to follow up on that, John, I'm curious what your take has been on the CBS coverage of the Champions League and Europa League so far, um, getting that new deal. Yeah, I like it. I really like the dedication and the, the attention to detail that they've put into it. I think a lot of credit goes to IMG, actually, in London. It's a guy called Stephen Cook, um, who's in charge of attracting new business there, who I used to work for. He was, he was my boss at uh, two companies, Satanta and then ESPN in the UK when we had the live Premier League rights there. Really good guy. Um, he's been influential at ESPN in the US in the past in providing advice and consultancy ahead of major tournaments like the Euros and the World Cups. And so CBS, as I understand it, went to IMG and specifically to him. And um, it's, it's a very, I think the best thing I can say about it is that it's, a, it's actually a very British production. So you could stick that on British TV and it would not look out of place. In fact, to me, there are elements of it that are better than the output of the actual host broadcaster in the United Kingdom, BT Sport. So I, I think they're in the fortunate position where they can go out and get people who work for companies that don't have the Champions League rights. And there's only BT Sport has the Champions League in the UK. So basically, you've got your pick of Sky, BBC, ITV, the best of the freelance market, and they've gone out and they've done really well. And I, I like their coverage. It, it, it's good. I feel very comfortable with it. Whereas I have to say that what went before was difficult to watch on yeah. on, on Turner. That was uh, that was tough. That was tough for all of us to watch. I think we've gone at it here on the show. Grail? Yeah, John, speaking of Sky and BT, there's this big snafu that's been uh, bubbling up uh, related to their pay-per-view uh, offerings. I don't know, you're probably aware of this. I am. And uh, yeah, I'm just curious if, if it just strikes you as the classic overreach by a couple networks who are trying to kind of milk more money out of the cow, so to speak. And, and, and the fans have clearly spoken and said, no. Yeah. Um, the cow is being milked 
<laughs> but it's not being milked by the networks. I think it's okay. important to understand that, Grail, that this is this is down to the this is on the clubs. Okay. This is down to the greed of the clubs who okay. have said we're not happy to continue to distribute our games free because people can't go into them. So what they were doing was saying very graciously, okay, we're gonna give the games that aren't live on TV in the UK, which is just over 50%. It's a very different environment there. Um, and we're gonna allow the TV companies between them, there were four of them, Sky, BT Sport, Amazon, who have a tranche of games, and the BBC, who have the highlights show, Match of the Day every week. We're gonna allow them, between them, to show all the games live, free to air, which was bountiful for the football public, but also probably the right, right way to go when so many people are hurting amidst a yeah. pandemic. So that's how they got through Project Restart at the end of last season. Now, the clubs are looking for ways to make money. So they decided that they wanted to take those games in-house, make them pay-per-view, and all that, I mean, it's not for me to defend Sky and BT Sport, but I have to say, in their defence, all they're doing is answering the Premier League's call to produce the games. They're not making any money out of it because any profit, and I don't think there'll be much because the figures have been so poor for the viewing mm -hmm. of these games, any profit goes back to the clubs. So this is on the club chairman, the chief executive, and I think it's a huge own goal because it's a terrible look for the Premier League. And you think it's going to go away? I hope it does, yeah. but I, I thought it would have gone by now. But I know that they're still doing the TV schedule, which is usually published two or three months in advance in the UK. They're doing it week by week, so they can pencil in these pay-per-view games. There's a meeting today mm -hmm. to try and decide on the way forward. And disappointingly, all the Premier League clubs seem to be talking about is maybe reducing the price slightly. They just don't seem to get oh, it. God. Wow, is... especially during this difficult time. And yeah. things are spiking in Europe as well. And Absolutely. Brexit and everything else that's going yeah. on. I mean, as of, as of today, we're talking on a, on a Thursday morning. Um, as of today, the UK is locked down again, just as, as tightly as it was in, in March, April and into May. So, yeah, it really is spiking over there. And one of the few outlets for a bit of enjoyment on their TV that people have yeah. got at home potentially is live Premier League football. And it's largely being denied them un unless they're willing to pay £15 a time, which is a big chunk, particularly at the moment. Definitely. Well, hopefully that does not stand. I think that's a great expression. You just used uh, a huge own goal. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> love that one. Huge own goal. So, um, you know, we were talking before you got on, John, about, you know, just the amount of soccer that's out there to watch. As Americans, we're quite a, kind of not used to it. I, th I think even in the British broadcasting, you know, didn't watch all these other games that are now available. I think we have more here than yeah. you do overseas. But, you know, you have Turkish leagues and, and French and the German, the Dutch. It's, there's so much soccer. How do you stay on top of it all? I mean, do you pick and choose? Do you do, you do a, just a big spin the wheel and decide what you're going to watch each day? Um, yeah, I, I tend to keep in touch, particularly, well, number one, MLS, because it's the prime mm -hmm. thing on which I work. So I need mm -hmm. to keep in touch with that. So I watch a lot of it, but I can't keep up with all the games just because right. there are so many being played in this truncated season. So YouTube highlights are great. And then if I'm specifically doing 18, for example, New England, I've not seen live for about three months. So I'll sit down and watch the tape of the last two games ahead of commentating on them at the, the weekend to get an idea of precisely what they're, they're doing. And we'll talk to Bruce Arena, um, uh, I have a sort of private off the record meeting and he'll mark our cards. So that's all very useful. In terms of other games, I, I'll watch Premier League because it's just habit. And I, I do occasionally right. go back there and call games. So I need to be across that. And beyond that, I'm not a great fan of the Champions League at this stage. I love the mm -hmm. knockout yeah. stages of yeah. it, but I just think this is the shadow boxing. So 
yeah, you look at the, the Champions League at the moment and you look at the tables and you think, well, Bayern have got nine points, Liverpool nine, City nine, Barcelona nine. What does it actually mean at this stage? Right. You'd be disappointed if they don't have nine points, three wins from three. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll cast a glance at it and I'll quite enjoy it, but I don't really take it too seriously until we get to the knockout stages the other side of Christmas. Beyond that, um, I want to stay married. So yeah, exactly, uh, you got to find time for your wife. Yeah, my wife and our, our, the youngest of our four kids, who's over here as well. So um, for that reason, I don't go casting around trying to find the latest action from the Turkish Superliga. You don't want to be wearing the T-shirt that I've been wearing. That's uh, that we mentioned earlier in the show. Hey, you know, I was, I was thinking about all the soccer out there when uh, Grail and I were on air. We used to do a radio you know, broadcast and have live call and, you know, people would call in live. And someone asked us one afternoon or one morning, uh, who do you think would be some of the backup outside backs for the Scottish national team? And I'm like, we looked at each other like, oh, I've, I have no idea, you know? And then our boss was like, you guys should really know that. I'm like, oh my God, Einstein couldn't digest all the information that's got to go into your brain. So uh, if, if anybody can do a, it, John Champion, you can. No, uh, I, I watch on a, on a need to know basis. So right. to give you a very quick example, I talked about, say, New England this weekend. My next game after that is the Euro playoff between Serbia and Scotland, which we're broadcasting on ESPN next week. So um, I'll be watching two or three games played recently by Scotland and Serbia. But ask me today about those teams. I wouldn't be able to fill you in very much. I've got the squad list and that's about it. Ask me in a week's time when I'm on the point of doing that game and hopefully I I know enough to be able to broadcast it. Uh, That's why you're a pro. It's called doing your due diligence, as they say. in the. It's also short-term memory. Right. You you, you learn your topic and then you shelve it. You move it into a compartment. So hopefully next Thursday game day, I'll know all about that game. You could ask me three days later, I'll have moved on to the next project. I, I did that with algebra, John. So that's, I just moved it right on the shelf in third grade and I haven't looked back. John Champion, we appreciate you so much joining us on Over the Ball. Uh, you do a great job and uh, you're the voice of MLS and we, uh, we needed a voice there and, and um, we're enjoying the coverage uh, despite the COVID, despite the uh, DJs that are doing the soundtrack, the lack of fans. <laughs> you have somehow made it uh, all worthwhile. So as we head towards this, uh, this playoff season, uh, best of luck. And uh, join us again on Over the Ball. I will. It's always great fun to talk to you. Thank you very much. And, uh, and stay fit and well, all of you. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right. How great is he, guys? Great talking to him. Oh, my God. I, I, I will say this. It's, it's the sign of the apocalypse when uh, one Kevin Flynn is correcting the uh, pronunciation of a person's <laughs> name by John Champion. I didn't I mean, think of that. By the way, I, by the way I, I literally had to get up off, off, off the floor when, when Flinny was telling John how to pronounce Peppy. Peppy's <laughs> Pizza in New Haven, Connecticut, right off of that Yale campus. Oh, my God. You know, I didn't thought of that, but uh, John, with that accent, is Pepe. I didn't know what he was saying. So how do you say Peppy's Pizza in Italian? Pepe. Pepe. Yeah, I'm more of a modern man though myself in New Haven. Got to be honest, you're more of a modern man. What? Modern, the modern pizza. Modern rep. pizza in New Haven. Yeah, modern. Yeah. Oh, it's a modern. And then there's uh, Sally's, which is right next door to that too. Yeah. So if you ever come through New Haven, Connecticut, folks, it's uh, the uh, old Italian little area there, and it's it's legit. By the way, I love the just quickly John's story about tailgating with Taylor and stuff in the driving rain to watch that mm-hmm. game. 
I'm like, yeah. these guys work hard, man. They do, they do their, all their homework. It's impressive. Well, yeah. champion does. I don't know about yeah. Taylor. No. Yeah. Another thing I thought was funny, you know, from an American standpoint, he was saying how he doesn't like to see teams play each other four or five times a yeah. season where, you know, it seems like the dream come true in American sports is a good seven game series where teams really start hating each other and yeah you know oh, it's a different type of different sport and you know well so yeah. speaking of games that you look forward to like this is true because here we got a i'm going to be watching the man city liverpool game this sunday on peacock that if they had played each other seven times it'd be you know wouldn't be as much there yeah, yeah on peacock and they're doing well right Grail? they're doing really well i mean their, their strategy of basically you know putting the carrot out there and making you having to join to get access to the big games is really uh, being it is really effective. Yeah, another bite of the apple, as uh, yep. you call it in the media business, huh? Yes, exactly. Sam, what are you going to be watching this weekend? Uh, so I got the games of the week here that I compiled entirely on my own, not using Nate Silver's predictions. Oh uh, man, I got, guy's just swimming in money. That for what reason? He, he knows numbers that way, man. So in addition to Man City Liverpool, which is Sunday, eleven thirty a.m. on Peacock, I got Borussia Dortmund against Bayern Saturday. Oof. Yeah. 12.30 on ESPN Plus. Nice, um, PSG nice. versus Rennes, who are in third place right now in uh, France. Uh, yep. Saturday at 3 on BN Sports. And then two good Serie A games on Sunday morning. Lazio Juve at 6.30 a.m. on ESPN2. Will be up for that, Sam? Uh, I'll probably be up for that, yeah. And then Atalanta Inter, Sunday at 9 a.m. That's on ESPN Plus. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'll I be like. watching. I love watching Pep versus... Klopp Pepe, it's called Pepe. Game. No, <laughs> Pep, Pepe, because there's no, they, there's a lot of respect, but no love loss. And I just watching, love watching their body language on the touchline, because there's a lot of stuff going on there between the two of them. Does this mean styles. you're a, you're a mm-hmm. subscriber? Grail? Yeah, just, just, yeah, I am a subscriber. Okay. I'm a, yeah, and here I am promoting Peacock on OTB, okay. but there you I'm go. I'm a subscriber too, so yep. but, uh, you got to watch those games. So uh, exactly. you got anything for us today? Uh, yeah, Samuel? just a really quick quiz. Uh, very simply, uh, who's the current left back backup for Scotland? <laughs> uh, oh, God. So unfair. So unfair. So unfair. Well, but even more simply. Uh, it's Andrew Robertson. A, it's no, been no, kind he's of a starter. It's been kind of a crazy season so far uh, across Europe, everywhere. But I'm wondering if you guys can tell me who is in first place in each of the top five leagues. Let's start with England. Liverpool. Liverpool. Spain. Um, I'm going to say... You're, you're right, by the way. Liverpool is right. Okay. Real Madrid. And Barcelona. I think no, I'm wrong. No. It's actually oh. Real Sociedad. Oh, right Sociedad. Now, first place. Okay. Well, let's German. Say Grail trying to do the pronunciation. <laughs> Give me a break. What are you trying to impress hey, a woman hey, at a settle, bar? Settle down, Peppy. <laughs> oh, so, oh, Sociedad. Oh, I was so close to Sociedad. <laughs> Bundesliga. Bayern. Bayern, yeah. Okay, correct. But they are tied for first place with Dortmund. So this okay. weekend's game should be a good, good. one. Yeah. Uh, France. That's not uh, PSG. I know PSG's hurting. So. It's not Marseille. So it's, and you said Ren was in third. There's. So I'm going to say. Lyon. Yeah, I don't know. God, I should know this. I, I'm not sure. No I'm guess. Like, it's actually PSG, <laughs> despite the fact that. Oh my God. The way they've been right. playing? And finally, Serie A. Uh, AC Milan. Yeah. Jeez. Sam, I feel bad. I'm sorry. 
right. Oh, you Pepe. Meant Go with Pepe. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually Milan. Well done, Grail. So yeah, pretty good. So uh, sort of surprising to see Sociedad in Milan, top in Italy and Spain. Otherwise, kind of standard. Yeah, and and, and uh, Sam, um, our our boy, uh, I just blanked on his name. You know, the, this I can't believe I was going to say this point and missed it. The the striker for uh, AC, Ibra. Ibra, how could yeah. I just draw a blank? Got Ibrahimovic. Ibra's wow. been Ibra's been great. It's been fantastic. Probably right? the best player in Serie A right now. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. amazing. So you know, well, that bodes well for MLS him. too, because he, you know, he came here and did well, and people think, oh, well, he's over the hill, and no, but then he goes back to Syria and plays well. So, yeah, good stuff. All right, guys, that's uh, that's all we got today. It was a great show. It was great to talk to John Champion. He, um, he's really a quality guy, and uh, we've enjoyed it here on Over the Ball. So, for uh, for John Champion and and the guys here in the crew, Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. Enjoy the soccer out there, and uh, keep counting those votes, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.